All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Deuce Rethread. My name is Mike. I am here with Jason Bailey. Hello. And we are talking about uh, HBO's The Deuce, Season 1, Episode 6, which is entitled... Why Me? Oh, man. These are some good titles. They really are. Yeah. They, they, they bring you right back in, don't yeah, they? This yeah, is, yeah, yeah, this is working for me. Yeah. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the weather last time and about timelines and where exactly we were, and we've had some, some clarification on timelines. It was as if on cue. It was <laughs> like, hey, I bet people are wondering if we're still in 1971. <laughs> Happy holidays. Yes, everybody's <laughs> yeah. got a coat on. Yep. He's still got a pimp out in the rain or in the snow. <laughs> yep. And there's Christmas lights up at the bar. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that we are coming to the end of 1971. Correct. Right. Correct. So before we get into that, uh, just again, as we as we like to, yep. to give credit where due to... Uh, the folks who are who are putting the, the program together uh, for us every week. Um, so we have uh, a we have a directorial credit for Roxanne Dawson. Again, sort of falling into the line that we talked about of of, of hiring uh, female directors mm-hmm. for the series to sort mm-hmm. of uh, check that male gaze, which which is nice. Uh, Roxanne Dawson has done a lot of television directing. Um, uh, she credits include Agents of Shield and. House of Cards and two episodes of Treme, um, but it actually started out as an actor. She uh, okay. she was in, uh, and from what I could tell, the the best known credit is uh, she was a series regular on Star Trek Voyager, where she played Lieutenant Torres. Okay, I didn't watch Star Trek Voyager, <laughs> but that was a thing, um, and that was also among her first credits was directing episodes of that, and then she did Star Trek Enterprise, and then she sort of moved on to just a, a pretty. Uh, distinguished um, filmography there uh, as a television director. Uh, and carrying on from our conversation last time, it's nice to see people being able to be, you know, promoted yep. within the meritocracy. Yep. Right. And yep. you know, I didn't know about Simon's stint on Voyager, but anyway, somehow he knows her. <laughs> now here we are. She there directed a hell of an episode. Did a good episode of this. And yeah. then uh, the uh, story credit. To Richard Price and Mark Henry Johnson, Mr. Johnson has the teleplay credit. He is a rare sort of outlier, uh, not uh, credited with previous stuff in uh, from the Simon Factory, if uh-huh. you will, uh, and, and or any real previous writing credits. Mostly uh, a producer uh, worked on uh, Michael Moore's The Awful Truth. And uh, did uh, the Huey P. Newton story was one of the producers on that with that Spike Lee directed. Uh, soundtrack for Revolution, which is an excellent documentary that I highly recommend. And then he's a a producer on the series um, and then has the writing. Okay, what does it mean that they have now a Foley editor, a documentary (laughs) film producer? What does it mean that they've got this like variety of people writing these episodes? But it feels of a piece. Yeah. I didn't feel today like... right. I mean, it just means, you said this when we were talking about this off mic on the last episode, off microphone, that is, not, <laughs> um, that it just feels like a show where if you've got a good idea, uh, then they'll, they want to hear it, you right. know? I mean, I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but it feels like it sort of uh, boils down to that. 
Um, you know, and, and again, when you talk about the consistency, you know, it's all the stuff we've talked about in previous episodes about how your typical writer's room works, even if apparently it's not a room of traditional writers. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, there are checks and balances in place to keep that stuff consistent. And again, uh, the, the Richard Price story credit on this one says a lot, you know, that he also had the story credit on the last one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That he's, you know, he's, he, one, one might even think from these credits that he is probably maybe as much running that writer's room as, as Simon and Pelicanos maybe. Right. At least the way that these are, these are shaken out. So anyway. Right. Well, um, and in their position, you can trust him to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know. I trust Richard Price. <laughs> yeah. To run my writer's room. <laughs> you can trust him to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Right. He's right. got it. Uh, so, uh, we also got another interesting timeline thing. Cause when we were initially watching it, we had seen the bit from in the trailer where he's talking about New York not having any standards. Right. And I had related that to the Supreme Court case mm-hmm. that was basically kind of the end of right. that level of obscenity enforcement, right? Right. Um, and so I'm like wringing my hands because that Supreme Court case wasn't until 1973, but our show is in 1971. So are we like moving forward? Right. What's going on? How are we going to get candy like under some lights, camera action before the season is over? Am I just going to watch her get beat up and like <laughs> for the rest of season one? Right. Are we going year by year? Is it th- season three? Oh, I was like, and working this over in my head. And there's a very simple answer to all of this stupid Thing, these stupid thoughts I was having, which is that the Supreme Court is the end of this line, right? And that there are various, you know, federal courts and appellate courts and lower courts that are making decisions along the way. Yeah, and so we get that now. That's yeah, a really important little little scene there, um, where Rudy's you know popping into the courtroom to see how the case is turning out for the guys who got caught with all that film out in Queens, and yeah, where the the lower court judge says like my personal tastes are don't apply here. These personal freedoms are protected by the First and Fourteenth Amendments. Right. And the lawyer telling him that basically that means like in this town, nothing's dirty anymore. So we have the courtroom scene where, where we see kind of the end of that process, mm-hmm. right? But then we also have the scene with uh, with beautiful Crumholtz chest hair right. and Candy where he is talking about, you know, you get a skin flick here, you get a mat, you sell a magazine there, and they're talking about test cases, basically, yes. and how you, you, you go a little bit farther each time. One pubic hair at a time. One pubic hair line. at a time, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. And so now when we think back about Deep Throat, because we were talking about this last episode, Deep Throat comes out in 72, right? So the Supreme Court case is 73. We think back about Deep Throat, and Deep Throat was, we think, as a touchstone moment, a huge success, a landmark, and, you know, so on and so forth. But from the perspective of this episode, it seems like it could have been the next, like the biggest toe they dipped in the lake, Mm -hmm. right? It it was more of yet another kind of experiment to see whether or not it was going to work. Yeah, and they still attempted to prosecute Deep Throat, which, you know, on grounds of like crossing state lines and... Uh, and and it was prosecuted, I believe, in Tennessee, where you know they might find a more receptive um, jury pool mm-hmm. for that one. Uh, recommended viewing supplementary if you haven't seen it. There's a very good documentary called Inside Deep Throat, yes. which which is frequently on the Netflix streaming library, although I believe in its R-rated version, uh-huh. um, which has some cuts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but that the, the, the idea that movie is really good. 
I don't yeah. mean to interrupt, but like how like you watch that, you start that movie, like how are you gonna make a documentary about a porno? Right. Right? Yeah. Well they made um yeah. hell of a documentary about yeah. a porno. Yeah. yeah. But no, you're right that it's that it's it's a very clever scripting here of sort of complementing what's happening in a courtroom with how it's being sort of understood and explained by someone who's working in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the the change in the weather in the obscenity laws. And as much the idea that, like, cases are getting tossed as that the movies that are getting made can, it seems, sh- shed this sheen of socially redeeming value. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. that's why we go from Demiano making Sex USA in 1971 to making Deep Throat in 72. Mm-hmm. Sex USA, which came up in the previous episode because it it's a quote-unquote documentary. Right. right. Um, you know, uh, just a side note. I One of my... I'm sorry, because we mentioned the Henry Paris movies in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite things in those movies is... Um, in uh, Pamela Mann, um, there's this you know the, there's this great running joke in it where like two or three times during the movie, a young woman just appears out of nowhere in with a clipboard and glasses and walks up to our heroine and asks her some like incredibly complicated social slash moral question like you know isn't it true that in the bourgeois you know like that's a whole <laughs> like a fucking paragraph and Pamela Mann responds. No, or I don't know, or something like that. And then after like the third appearance, uh, the third time there's another person in the scene. And then so like as she's leaving, the other person's like, who are you? And she's like, I'm here to add socially redeeming value and walks off. (laughs) It's a great moment. It's a great winking moment in in a movie. But that was a real thing. Like I Am Curious Yellow and even Russ Meyer's Vixen were skin flicks that had to dress themselves up with like a socio-political angle and have scenes where characters are talking about contemporary Marxist politics right? so that they could get away with also showing pubic hair. (laughs) And that was because they could literally say like, that was the standard. No, this is a film of socially redeeming values and it meets community standards because of this political stuff. And so then that just means that the pubic hair doesn't ruin it? Yes. Basically? That just means that you know, it's it's a McDonald's chicken salad that has kale on it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Does that work? So you put the sugary dressing and everything all over the place, but right. like you can but no, still it's good point for you. to the See, kale. kale. Right. Yeah. Oh my god. So yeah, right. so like all, all of right. that stuff is really fascinating in this episode. And again, this idea that we've got... But also, like, well done. Like, you didn't feel at any point like somebody was reading you a Wikipedia entry. You know, which you always... It's... Which There's is always a how I would write it that. if I was writing it because I just think the real shit is so fascinating. But yes, you know, and, and the idea that, like... She's on the set with him and that exchange where she's, so what's the plan on this one? And he's like, the plan is you bang the shit out of each other and everyone comes. <laughs> but she's immediately, she's already asking about points and sales and royalties and like our, 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 our presumption in the last episode that once she got back on that set, sort of the light would come back into her eyes Mm -hmm. proved very accurate that she was not only wanting to talk process, but when there was a, a failure, uh, in casting 
that she, she produced a went a out solution. and got an actor, and then probably also learned a lesson about what kind of performer to go get. Right. That right. you maybe don't want one who has a pimp who's going to show up and dis- strings disrupt. Strings are shoot. attached. Yeah, the strings are right. attached there. Right. And she, uh, and not only did the light come back into her eyes around that, but she also said to her mother, and also to. Mm-hmm. Her co-producer, yeah, uncredited, yeah, she, her being uncredited, yeah. right? That she's not doing that again. Yes, you know, and it's not clear by the end of this episode if she's going to be able to stick to that, right? But at least she's going to be. She's got a a gear shift happening. Yeah, there, and where, the, oh, and man, this is how involved I am with with her journey. Mm-hmm. Is that like when he stand when they're both both when he's in the car with her dropping her off and when he comes back to the apartment later? And by the way, like Crumholtz. It's killing this. His ability to put across both this guy's goodness and his sleaziness yeah. at the same time. Because yeah. those are things that can coexist in complicated characters slash real human beings. Right. Like right. that he's doing both of those things and not one at the expense of the other is like, mwah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But in both of those scenes, in the car and when he comes back up to the thing... Like, I'm so involved with her that I just want to, like, shake his shoulders and be like, no, but you teach her the business, and then you can produce <laughs> more work and make more money, and that's enough money to pay her. And you know what I mean? Right, like, right. I want her to succeed right. at this so badly. Right. Because she's created such empathy for us as the viewer. Yeah. Well, and he's doing a really great job of, you know, how you... I mean, you know, here we are again. We talked last time about... There's no easy answer to these questions. Right. And here he is in a position, you know, where he clearly, what other answer, mm-hmm. he has nothing else to offer. Right. You know, and that's not just a matter of what she is a professional at, which she said, right? Yeah. Professional, yeah. right? But also, he's not a guy who, like, knows a lot like he can't just like slide you into a banking position or something yeah right like this is the world he runs in yeah right and he doesn't know what to suggest these girls do when they're not here because he's never (laughs) had to care about that had to even think for a second about that yeah you know so now here he is like being confronted with a new situation Mm -hmm. which is actually having some sort of concern yeah for someone that he's working with yeah I mean, like, that's good stuff. Yeah. For the pornographer. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We got the same, have we had the same AD character in, in all of these I believe shoes? so, yeah. yeah. I, I just yeah. like that she's just casually there. Yeah. And then, like, that's, when you need an assistant, you go get her. Mm-hmm. That's smoking and holding the bounce board. And, and steadfastly refusing to step in <laughs> and do uh, other things. Yeah. You couldn't pay me enough. Yep. We see uh, the guy come when he's not supposed to and then take a boy magazine yep. to go try and yep. figure his situation out. Lot, lot, lot packed into there. A lot of recurring themes in when you read your porn history about uh, uh, trickery of the cum shot and uh, mm-hmm. the, act, the, the guys who could get a lot of work being the guys who could do that a lot of times uh, mm-hmm. and come right back and do it again. Um, and the whole idea of straight for pay. Straight for pay. Or gay for pay, which right. is also a thing. Right. Yes. And that's uh, like basic, I mean, pretty much everybody 
at some point or another. Uh huh. Right? Like switched at some point or another. Pretty. I mean, this I'll, is very common. You hear at least yeah about like I mean, often the 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 gentlemen um, performers would sort of hit a, a hit a rock bottom where that would be what was then available to them. And that was considered a rock bottom. Yeah, because once it was thought that once you went to that side, that you could not go back. Um, so it was not. It's it's. I have to be careful in talking about this because it's not to demean you know the life, but there is a very much a hierarchy in pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, and as as sort of shitty as the 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 production values tended to be and the pay and so forth on straight porn like that was luxury compared to especially early on mm-hmm. um gay porn uh mm-hmm. now it's gotten a little you know we're all a little more metrosexual and gay porn is a little <laughs> snazzier but you know like that's in when you read like the john holmes story like that was considered you know he when he did his one you know gay movie after he had already like you know after wonderland had happened and after he'd like you know, been in jail and out and, uh, you know, when he was about to contract, you know, HIV, like that's that scene is one of the sort of like, oh, he really couldn't get work in this industry where he'd been a superstar, you know. But it, that was also, I guess, and his version, his version of this story is the most famous. Yes. I would. Right. But and he that also was accompanied by off camera mm-hmm. uh, gay sex, too. Right. I mean, on for Holmes, I don't think so. No, I I, I, I don't believe so. Okay, I could be wrong about that, but that was not. Let me just put this. I I, I finished. there were rumors of tricking of tricking. Yes, let's just yes. say there were rumors yes. of it for yes. sure. Yes, whether or not it happened. Right, and he also claimed to be like a high priced gigolo for ladies. So mm-hmm. like, who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? And also like. 80% of what that dude said was bullshit from, what, <laughs> from everything I've read. Um, but yeah, that's the point is that, you know, the, what's sort of interesting about the, the porn scenes is that like they're putting in um, background stories, but just sort of glancing past them. Mm-hmm. And they're, but they're like there as little winks to the people who like are aware of the history, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but not... Bog, they're not bogging down the, the 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 overall story, which is not about porn, mm-hmm. which is just about this moment in this city, in this sort of industry around this. Yeah. So I definitely, uh, I mean, the, once again, just couldn't have been more wrong about Rudy. Uh, <laughs> and here we have, we talked about it last time about weighing money. And literally a shot of weighing literally money. Literally a shot of weighing now, money. Quarters. Now, and it's, right, this isn't, but it. But to me, that feels much more like a a setup for a moment where later where they're like, we got to get a bigger scale. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. it feels totally. much more like a way, like how to turn the later scene of that in. Into a callback, kind of. Right. Right? As opposed to, oh, this is the stakes we're going to see it at. Yeah. But also very carefully setting up the kind of money that's going to be made. I mean, like, not even subtly. Like, he's sitting in the car with Frankie and and Big Mike saying, like, I want to get all this figured out. I got to get this straight because the payoff is going to start to grow. Right. You know, this this being the night before we're going into a courtroom for another obscenity victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, real, you know, these guys are clearly starting to wrap their heads around the kind of money that can be made. 
And then Big Mike's revelation with the, the, the booths, the private booths. Right. Which blows my mind. Like, you had to stop and explain to me. That, like, <laughs> no, no, no. This was this was wide open. And that's I'm like, what? That's why they had to cut holes in their pockets. That, to me, taking that long to figure out the Peep Show booth <laughs> is like how long it took them to figure out rolling suitcases. Like, how... <laughs> Did this basic thing that is clearly the only way to do this yeah. take this long? Well, I think, okay, so originally with the peep shows, you know, it would be like a circular thing mm-hmm. and and there would be booths coming and they were called booths because they were actual <coughs> walls coming yeah. out from the center, the circular center performance space. Mm-hmm. So the performer, for a live woman, for yeah. a live woman or, or man, so, or Groups of people, like, you know, however it worked out, right? So you have a circular area, and that's where the performance is happening. And off of that circular area are all of these dividers, and one of them is a door, so people can go in and out. And the rest of them are private spaces with a viewing situation. And so you pay to be able to see. And the thing raises up, up right? right. Everybody saw the Madonna video, right? Yes. Okay, so... So this was common, right? But then when they started with the movies, it was more like uh, video games were at the time. Yeah. And some of them were even built into, I think, either the video, either the movies. I think the, the original video games were built into that kind of movie cabinet, mm-hmm. I think is actually how it worked. So, But you have, when you think video games, like I'm old enough, not all of you are, but you have to think <laughs> like a thing that you stood at and played Pac-Man. Yes. You know, or Space stand Invaders. Up, stand up right? arcade game. Arcade game, exactly, yeah. where it's completely open yeah. and you've got just a little bit of like roof over it but that's just to block the terrible fluorescent light glare Mm -hmm. on the screen but everything is open and you're standing there looking at it and and playing the game and so the movies actually were the same thing and it seems to us (laughs) non-functional it seems like a non-starter as far as an idea goes yeah but they actually reference that in the show where they talk about the guys you know franco i think says it. you know how guys have to cut their pockets the holes in their pockets right Right. so you know you get the big coat and you get the hole in your pocket and you stand there and you watch your movie Mm -hmm. and you're just fucking uh, right okay so it's and the reason and this is what I said when you were like wait explain this to me the reason why it doesn't make sense is because it's not intuitive right the idea that people would want to jerk off in a closet makes a lot more, more sense, sense. Yeah. right and you know this because that's how the peep show was set up and yeah. the peep show of course was much older it didn't require video technology yeah. right yeah but you they had already worked out the that basic idea yeah. so I don't know if you know if there's any truth to this version of the story, but right. it certainly makes sense that someone would come up with that. Yeah. Okay, so a generally very satisfying episode with Rudy. Mm-hmm. Very satisfying episode with Big Mike and 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 Frankie, White Frankie, yes. you know. And I'm enjoying seeing White Frankie be less of a burden mm-hmm. on Vinny just because, like, Vinny's doing so much and I'm digging Vinny and, right. like... You know, it's nice to see Frankie starting to, to kick in a little bit. And a great that great scene between uh, Rudy and, and Vinny uh, in the bar uh, talking about why why me why why do you trust me? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way that um, that Dawson uses those those little push ins mm-hmm. that just that little camera move does so much to draw you into the scene. But like they're talking about like there's this is almost like Sopranos subtextual stuff yes. about like belonging to a thing and the value of trust and the seductiveness of feeling 
that kind of trust and confidence. Right. right. Which is real. And the, and I don't know. I would just I it was a really lovely scene. A satisfying episode for the yeah. in that for that whole side of the show all the way around. Yeah. All right, let's talk about something else cuz I could talk about Jackie Aprile all day. <laughs> um <laughs> Just a, it was just a, a minor thing, but clearly like being set up to be a big thing later is Candy's slash Eileen's like sudden departure from from the home when somebody was coming home early unexpected. Okay, who I presume is her dad. Okay, that's a see. I hadn't like I'm sitting there trying to puzzle out who the hell it is, and I thought maybe it was uh, the father of the kid. Not nah. Eileen's dad, but the I child. I assume father. that dude is long, long since gone, gone and long we'll gone. never know anything yeah, about yeah, yeah. him. Because, like, and see, okay, you're probably right. Because I'm thinking about this, like, he's coming to pick up the kid, like, in a much more modern sense. Oh, no. Whereas, <laughs> okay, I see what yeah. you're saying. That is Eileen's clearly father. Clearly, something is, bro- to me, that scene said something is clearly broken between Eileen and her father. The way that she even said, like her mom saying, like, oh, just say hello or whatever. And she's like, have you no, like, I can't even remember what the dialogue was, but it was like, are you serious? Are you fucking serious? Like, I'm not, I don't have anything. And then there's this weird yeah. mention of her brother. Right. And have you been to see your brother? And so there's, there's clearly some tense, some strained history between her, her dad, and her brother. Which I'm assuming, I mean, and you shouldn't jump to these conclusions about people who do sex work, but I'm assuming there was some kind of abuse, physical or sexual or otherwise, emotional, that took a toll on both of, both her and her brother. If her brother is off somewhere where he needs to be seen, that says to me either an institution or a prison. Mm -hmm. Um, But she goes to that when the topic of dad comes up, which means dad is to blame for that, Right. Wow, yeah, and it doesn't make. But this all happens in like twenty seconds. Yeah, it's very quick, right? And it also, I've predicted these things wrong before. I could be very wrong about this. Yeah, Jack. uh, Yeah, Rudy's not going to get into porn. Um, (laughs) The it also well, yeah, that does make so much more sense because why would her mother be encouraging her to hang out with the no the deadbeat dad as opposed to her actual father? God, that makes so much more sense. Oh my God, that's so much more. (laughs) <laughs> like that scene was deep enough but yeah. that's so much more harrowing with that idea of it being her dad and she's yeah. like literally running down the street barefoot yeah to get away from him and then that brings the question then of because and i mean i think this is commonly true in real life and so mm-hmm. hopefully in our entertainment mm-hmm. which is that that doesn't happen without affecting the relationship with the other parent right you know because at some point, you are expecting the other parent to Step help in. you. Yes. You know, and yeah. when that doesn't happen, right. or to whatever degree it does, or whatever, there's mm-hmm. a billion different ways that can play out, but mm-hmm. it doesn't happen without affecting your relationship with the person who you are yeah. trying not to blame. Yeah. I think is how that can end up working out a lot of times. And then when she sees that coming out, how could you? Yeah. Presumably, this isn't the first time. That mom has either tried to defend or smooth over or, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're having this moment immediately after a moment where she's acknowledging how much her mother has done for her in relationship to her own child. Right. And now. And I'm going to get a babysitter and I'm going to yada yada. And now if there is some sort of pattern or something Mm -hmm. that happened with not only her, but also her brother. Yeah. Then that would, you would think, put her son 
mm-hmm. at risk for whatever that would be as well. That's true too. Jesus. And okay. That's got to be weighing yeah. on her. Yeah. We're just finding out about it, but she's not. Yeah. That's Jesus. been weighing on her this whole time. Okay. If we find out about that too. All right. And now that also sets up a question of, you know, uh, I don't know what the, the like custody records are for mm-hmm. prostitutes who move into porn. Right. But she may end up having some sort of issue with that this as was well. A, this was like a major subplot in Boogie Nights. Like this was right. the big character drive for, for Amber Waves, the Julianne Moore character. Right. In Boogie Nights. Yeah. All right. So you're kind so of... this s- all just got really complicated. <laughs> and I okay. mean, yeah, Candy's character didn't have enough going on. Yeah, yeah. No now sure. we got all of this too. Yeah. Wow. Um, speaking of Candy, I'd like to read back my favorite Candy dialogue from the episode, maybe of the series. Uh huh. It's when she brings Lori <laughs> onto set. Lori. Uh huh. And tells her, and her 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 piece of advice for her for porn acting is quote, "The camera's the John. Fuck the camera." So quote. good. That's nice. That's so a good. Nice scene. I will say this. I'm, I'm, I'm a little... We had that scene when Cece shows up for her, which mm-hmm. is a great scene. Mm-hmm. But Cece and Lori have really been barely present in these last two episodes in a way that I wouldn't have expected from the amount of screen time they had in the top four. Well, and the his, his other girl, the one who's been cut under her arm, mm-hmm. has had a little bit more of like a dominant... Mm-hmm. attitude at least yeah between the two of them and when we saw Lori in the last episode she was sitting at the table crying yeah unexplained so unexplained yeah right so yeah. like not only have they had less time but also there's been mm-hmm. apparently now we know that you know after the whole brutal stabbing scene yeah you know she didn't she was doing the tunnel ride yeah. because she didn't want to go into the hotel with anybody so it yeah. could still be an outgrowth of that situation yeah right because we haven't seen yeah. any other and developments that's a, you know no but that's a really good point too because that would be another reason for her to want to do porn work yep it's because of that element of safety yep that is offered by by being on a shoot interesting but yeah. it also raised the cost of her yeah uh day on set Can two they and a half her? times yeah right 240 yeah. percent or something uh-huh. right so uh-huh. so that is the question then too of like is she gonna break from cc to be able to right you know who knows right i mean yeah well i mean and that is frankly we haven't gotten into that and we we shouldn't this deep into the episode at length but that's i think gonna be a big question about the series mm-hmm. as the, the overall question of as prostitution gives way to pornography mm-hmm. is what happens to the pimp and okay so you i believe it was i think it was something that i saw you wrote where you described linda laces linda lovelace's the star of deep throat mm-hmm. where you described her husband or the man she was as her husband, producer, and abuser? Yes. Is that is that correct? Yeah. yeah. That was you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was you, correct? So yeah. talk about it that. Because I realize it's not a pimp relationship, no, but, but there it, has to be some similarity. No, it, there is a similarity. The, 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 there was a common name, and Chuck Trainer, who was Linda Lovelace's, who was her husband, um, There's a the, the terminology for this is they were called suitcase pimps. Okay. 
This this barely didn't make it into that article that you're talking about. I just ran out of space. Well, then good. This is a time to... <laughs> <laughs> but the idea was that these were... This was there. You you don't read about pimps the way we're seeing on the deuce as mm -hmm. being part of the making of pornography, which is why I raised this question. Like, I wonder what's going to become of these guys as this transition begins to occur. Probably not even in this season, mm -hmm. but it will become a question because that's not part of the economic equation. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, we saw fucking why. <laughs> <laughs> right. But right. you did have guys. But you know. They're performers. They have agents. And a lot of them would just have sort of agents the way you'd have a modeling agent. A lot of times it would be the same person. Or a lot of times it would be someone who would start out as your nude modeling agent. And mm -hmm. would say, oh, well, hey, you can make more money doing this. The and way. then that's how the career begins. But in the lexicon, there is a thing that was called a suitcase pimp. And that's one man to one performer. And he was often romantically involved with her. She would be his only client, and he would manage her, negotiate salaries, negotiate what she would and would not do. Mm -hmm. um, and then also a lot of times there was an element of abuse to that relationship, or there would be like an element of, you know, jealousy would rear itself at some point, or there would be an element of that was part of their kink. Was that, you know, he was fine or better with her fucking other men on film. Mm -hmm. um, but either way it goes, it was like a dependent uh, relationship um, that usually wasn't a good thing. They're not, when you read the other Hollywood, there are not a lot of people with nice things to say about suitcase pimps. Mm -hmm. um, but it was called, they were called the suitcase pimp because they would have like a briefcase and they would sort of try to present themselves as like a professional manager, but they're smarts and disposition and attitude towards their client was mm -hmm. much closer to that of a pimp. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if, you know, CC is going to become Lori's suitcase pimp. I don't know. Right. But right. I do know that the kind of ecosystem that is on place on the corner did not make its way into the making of pornography. And that's going to be interesting to track. To what degree was that racial? I mean, because the pimp on the corner yeah. community we're seeing so far right. is overwhelmingly black with the one white guy yeah. who's got that like Southern, yeah, yeah. you know, that Southern <laughs> thing. Um, yeah. That like isn't strictly black, but he does it in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah that's, that's a, a signal. It's cool. It's not a hierarchy. You know, right? He's great. And We've he, said it before, once again, but using just the right amount of that guy yep. in this show. Yep. I'm happy to see him. Yeah. Um, but, then, but then the movies, mm -hmm. you know, we talked earlier about the kind of levels of, of pay and all those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And, I mean, this is true from then... Kanye West rapped about this, like, yeah. is how long this goes, right? Is this idea that when you sleep with a black male performer, mm -hmm. that that lowers the value right. of a female performer, right? Right, And so that has been in place long before Kanye West was talking about mm -hmm. it. So to what degree is that? Is that lack of interaction? Yeah, I mean, especially early on, these films were 
racially segregated. I mean, because the point you make about Cece showing up and not like making things go smoothly mm-hmm. is not a racial point. He no. didn't show up and everybody was like, "Oh, it's a black guy." Yeah, he showed up and demanded a fuck ton more money and right. like you know, right? Yeah. So, so to me, I mean. If you say like no, we just don't want to work with her, not because she's got a black pimp, but right. because right, yeah. that is to me sounds legitimate. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of those like no, we just don't want to work with him because we don't like his attitude. You right, know, right, 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 right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know like to what degree I don't know how that interplay works. Yeah, it worked. I don't. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure either. I know that the suitcase pimps I read about were white dudes. Mm-hmm. That that tended to I, so so at some point along the line that dynamic made that change as well mm-hmm. in in the transition from prostitution to pornography and it's not exactly clear probably because well i mean who knows if people are asking that question and all that, thinking about it in that way but mm-hmm. also um it's not those aren't the crazy stories. Right. Those aren't the, you know, like, mm-hmm. that's not the thing that you sit down to talk to right. Linda Lovelace about or right. whatever, you yeah. know. Uh, you've got other stories to tell. And, like, once you get to the sociology of, like, mm-hmm. racial politics, with it, like, you're, like, mm-hmm. you're way down the question list before yeah, yeah. you get to that part. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll see if any of that comes up, you know, or if, like... If yeah. it comes into play at all. Yeah. We got two episodes to go, and I'm pretty fucking sad about it, I gotta tell you. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I feel like there's already cliffhangers for next season. I know. Because, like, how I is know. all, you know... Yeah. And to, and for the record, I, again, I hopefully this will change by the time this airs. HBO has announced second season for show second seasons for shows within a week of the premiere airing. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't heard yet about season two of The Deuce. Oh, um, I don't know how what kind of numbers that first that first uh, episode pulled, um, and also how those were affected by the fact that it was streaming so far in advance of that debut. Um, but boy, I sure hope there's another season. Um, if for no oh, other that reason, that was some really depressing real politics just dropped on sorry. me there, Jason Bailey. No, um, that's what we have professionals <laughs> here for. <laughs> um, you know, the frankly. Not only for more good television, but for the fact that, and you should put this in the show notes for one of these episodes, that piece I sent you where my friend uh, Allison Herman, who used to work with me at Flavorwire, mm-hmm. interviewed Michelle McLaren about uh, about the show, about directing the pilot and setting up the, the look and style of the show. But we found out that they shoot the fucking thing like <laughs> a five minute walk from where we live, that yeah. they've like turned two blocks of like St. Nicholas, I think right. at like one sixtieth or something. Like we live right by there. Right. Right. If I right. were to walk the right direction one day, I'd stumble onto the set of the deuce and I want to go there now that I know where it is. <laughs> yep. I want to go hang out and be like candy. Yeah. Candy. Yeah. 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 Darling. <laughs> All right. Uh, two more episodes. Two folks. more episodes to go. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the deuce rethread. My name is Mike. I'm Jason. And we will be back after episode seven. Thank you for listening to The Deuce on the DVR Podcast Network. You can check us out at dvrpodcast.com or on Twitter at dvrpodcast. You can email Mike and Jason at thedeucedvr at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at thedeucedvr.